visiting with us today. We, we do summer psalms. We've been doing it for all of our years, which is now eight, nine. Someone should know. I should know. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, we're in Psalm 31 this morning, so, so grab God's Word in some form or another and open up uh, to the very middle of the Bible and then find Psalm 31. That's where we are. And as you are headed that way, let me just go ahead and ask you uh, to think through this idea if, you know, are, are you suffering in any way? Physically, emotionally, are you stressed out in life because of, of circumstances that are going on in your life? Because work maybe is not what you wish it could be? Uh, because marriage is harder than you ever dreamed it would be? But because the fallen world that we, we, we live in is full of sickness, it is full of death, it, it, uh, we, are, we are surrounded by what feels like people rooting for evil at times? Are, are you distressed because of financial concerns or because of broken or, or tense relationships in your family or your friendships or your neighbors? Is if anxiety and stress, if that is your daily experience, then Psalm 31 is absolutely for you. And if that is not your experience, if right now you're thinking life is wonderful, I am chill as a cucumber, this is fantastic, then this psalm is also for you. For certainly in this life, a time will come when, when what is going on in your life, when the experiences of your life are, are going to tempt you towards anxiety, towards distress, towards exactly where we see David as he speaks in this psalm this morning. Now, I, I do want to do our reading a little different than we usually do. We tend to read the whole thing, or in the case of last week, not the whole thing. Uh, but we tend to read the whole thing and then kind of go back and do it. T today, I, I want us to read a section and then kind of dig into it, read a section and dig into it. Uh, and, and the whole purpose is that this is a, a beautiful psalm written by, by King David in, in this moment of distress. Uh, but you kind of need to see how it unfolds. And, and I just find if we read the whole thing before we really understand what's going on here, then it feels a little bit like these disconnect pop lyrics of an ancient Near East pop song, right? Something like that. And, and, and so we're going to read it in six sections is the way it is. Uh, our first one is just the first five verses. Uh, so if you will, follow along, but keep your Bibles open. We're going to be coming back to this. I want you seeing things. I want you looking at things, okay? Um, Psalm 31, verse 1. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net that they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. The grass withers, the flower fades. And again, let us pray. Heavenly Father, so many of our life circumstances make no sense to us in the moment, but they make perfect sense to you. Help us this morning to better understand suffering and, and persecution and stress and, and what it means to trust you fully. And, and so, Holy Spirit, we are asking that you would enlighten our minds to understand your word, to approach your word as your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So coming back to that first question, right, assuming distress in your life, where do you go in times of distress in your life? What, what do you do, right? And in the opening line of Psalm 31, David declares that he goes to the Lord. 
You might notice there that Lord is in all capital letters. If you remember from years past, which tells us something about that, right? In the, the Hebrew, this is the word Yahweh. This is the covenant name of God, the personal name in that regard. And, and so we're seeing that. That's where David goes. Now, surely we can relate to King David's prayer in, in verse 2 there, right? Rescue me speedily. We want our prayers to be answered as fast as we want everything else in this world answered, don't we? Surrey, what time does the sun set today? Surrey, who, who was that child actor in, in the TV show ALF? You know, Surrey, why are some jalapenos red? All these questions we throw at. And even when my, my, my Apple Watch would be like, give me a moment. I'm like, are you kidding me? Give me the answer. We want everything fast. We, we want our, our prayers answered like that. Like, like, like David, right? We just want it quick. Now, in, in verse 3, do you see why David, or why God leads and guides David here? This is interesting. Uh, he does so for God's namesake, for his own renown, for his own glory. That, that's what David, or what God is doing in David's life here. And really, this, this shouldn't surprise us, right? In Isaiah 48, 11, God proclaims, For my own sake, for my own sake I do it, for how should my name be profane? My glory I will not give to another. God's glory does not belong to anyone else. And this has been David's experience, hasn't it? Uh, And the the most famous of all psalms, right? If I throw that out there, what would you say is the most famous psalm? 23. You even have hand motions for it. I like that. Uh, I don't know what the motion was, but yeah, Psalm 23. And do you remember, right, what David says immediately after he declares that, that, like, breathing out statement when you when you memorize this right he restores my soul and then David write, he writes he leads me in paths of righteousness why for his name's sake we see this all over the scripture this this purpose right for the glory of God and and this is right and this is good for God is glorious and then in verse 5 David says into your hand I commit my spirit spirit you recognize that where do you think you've heard that before? It sounds familiar, right? Yeah. Um, those are the last words of our Lord uh, upon the cross, before his death on the cross. In Luke 23:46, we, we read this. Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus is, is suffering uh, under the wrath that you and I deserve. And in the midst of all that agony, here he is making this statement about how he trusts God the Father with all that he is. Now, you might remember that the, the early Christian disciple Stephen, when, when he was being stoned to death in Acts 7.59, that, that he paraphrased this, right? He, he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. It's that statement that goes out of, of trust. Stephen is so confident that, that his death was not the end of his life. Really? Not his real life, right? He was simply transitioning from God's earthly care into God's eternal care. And, and, and he knows that and he's trusting the Lord with that. And, and Stephen isn't the only Christian to have prayed these words in the face of death. These are some of the most common final words in, in so many Christians' lives. They were the, the you know, the, as people go into God's eternal presence. These were the last words of Martin Luther. The last words of Jerome. And there's actually a huge list of people. Let me, let me give you one more. Uh, a guy named John Huss. It's the 1400s, before the Reformation. And, and John Huss has his objection with the Roman Catholic, 
uh, Roman Catholic practice of selling indulgences, which to make it really simple, and it's not real simple, it's this exchanging of, uh, of money for the forgiveness of particular sins. Uh, this is what Luther is going to object to much, much later. Um, and, and because he calls out their sin, the, the Roman Catholics condemned Huss to death by burning. And, and at his execution, the, the Roman Catholic bishop declared this. He said, and now we commit your soul to the devil. How would you like to hear that? As you're tied to a stake about to burn. And John Huss calmly responded, I commit my spirit into your hands, Lord Jesus Christ. To you I commend my spirit, which you have redeemed. And then they burned him. Surely you can see how comforting these words are, they can be in our last moments of life, but let us not miss that we can and should co commit our entire life, our, our everything, into the hands of, of God fully every day of our life. Not just in those last moments. Now we'll be moving along section to section and transitions will probably be weird and awkward because I am. Um, so let's look at the second section and, and here we, we see David more fully commit his trust uh, in the Lord. Let's, let's start in verse 6 here. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul, and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. I'll be honest. How many of you hung up on that first line? Right? I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols. David is saying that. Right? Is, is David even allowed to say that? Can he say that? Does David's mom know he said that? The Psalms are raw. And David's heart comes out here. It just does. His, his love for God is so deep. It is so passionate that he has no place for those who do not love God, for those who worship idols. In other words, he, David hated them because they do not love God, which is very different than all the, the things, right? I hate them because of what they're doing to me, but he hates them because of their worship of idols. But, but what about what our Lord said, right? Can he say this? The, the, the second great commandment, Mark 12, 31, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, or, or more to the point in this context, right, what Jesus said in Matthew 5, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute them, or persecute you, rather. It, it, it is our aim as God's children to hate evil and also to do good to all. Christian, you are to care for unbelievers, to care for the well-being of their souls. You, you should want what is best for them. You must pray for them. You, you should seek the salvation even of those who hate God. However, as, as long as they do hate God, you can never identify with them. We can't. You know, we, we don't look up to them. We, we don't find this to be a behavior worth imitating or seeking in our own lives. And, and notice this does not open the gates for you to hate everyone whom you differ from. This doesn't mean you get to hate everybody who's politically different from you. Oh, I don't like them, so they must be enemies of God. We, I can hate them, right? You don't get to hate people who put pineapple on their pizza. I don't get to hate Yankee fans, 
right? I, the enemies of God, the evil empire, all that kind of thing. You, we could try to justify just about everything. You know, how many people, groups, how many individuals can I hate because I've labeled them enemies of God? More to the point, though, even remember when we, if you do feel that, right, you say, I, I hate someone because they do love idols instead of the Lord. Remember, your, your Lord does call you to act in love towards them. To desire to, to see enemies of God come to, to know and to love God through the gospel. And that's one of the hardest things for us, isn't it? Give them justice. But really, we, we want them to know the gospel. Really, we want to see our enemies became, become lovers of God. Now, now, don't forget, many of us hated God before we loved him. That's our own story. Now, now, the bigger question that you may have missed because of the David hates people thing going on right here is this. Why does David suddenly talk about worshiping idols right here? Right? It kind of comes out of left field. And its whole point here, its whole point is, is to contrast this commitment to God with the false worship that is offered by so many of the Israelites around him. He's saying, listen, they, they worship idols and they don't love you, God, but I, I, am, I love you. I mean, that's the contrast, and, 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 and so we, 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 we get so hung up, right? We, we want to know if we can hate people like David, can we do that? That we fail to even stop and, and ask in this psalm, am I actually more like David, faithfully committed to God, or, or more like the people that David hates here? Because more likely than, than being, you know, Assyrians and, and enemies of that nature, he's talking about Jews. Israelites who do not love the Lord. Are we more like those who are worshiping idols, right? Where is your trust really? Is it in a certain amount of, of wealth that you possess, right? I'm safe for the future because I have this much money stored away. Or is it in medical procedures to heal you? Is it in politicians and policies, right? That, that maybe this can shape the nation exactly like I want it to be and then I can live in this utopia right now? Is it success in your career or, or maybe your children just turning out amazing or maybe it's just the escapism of, of turning to entertainment you know what things stink things are rough they're suffering but I can sit down and watch this for a little while and, and just veg out and be done with whatever worries I have in my life I was recently struck by a sentence while rereading David Murray's book Reset if you haven't read it it's a great book um, Murray believes that sleep is often an indicator of our, our trust or our, our lack of trust in God. He, he says it like this. He says, if, if you're not getting adequate sleep, okay, for whatever reason, you're not getting adequate sleep, um, and he asks this question, what I, or says this statement, what I do instead of sleep shines a spotlight on my idols. Late night sports or Netflix, maybe it's shopping on the internet, pornography, Worrying about something, replaying that conversation over and over again in your head and thinking, oh, maybe I should have said this instead, that kind of thing. Or for trying to get ahead in, in work or, or ministry or something else, right? It's, it's a question worth asking, you know, what, what does your sleep pattern reveal re regarding your idols? I'm not saying there aren't exceptions to this, medically speaking, but, but it's a general statement. 
You know, to, to broaden the question, what, what worthless idols are you regarding instead of genuinely declaring, as David does in the last verse, right, or last words of verse 6, I trust in the Lord. I trust in the Lord. So now let's look at the third section. This is the, uh, this one's kind of the emotional core. This is where David just, he pours it all out and maybe the next day he'd be like, I don't, you know, if this was a conversation, I... I'm not sure I should have said all that. Uh, But this is where he really does pour it out. uh, James Johnson so elegantly puts this part like this. He says, this prayer is wonderful because it is realistic. You can pray in faith and still dissolve in a flood of tears. All right, so follow along. Verse 9. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief. My soul and my body also For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whisperings of many terror on every side as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. The stress of suffering has worn David down in body and soul. You probably know this from your own experiences at some point in your life. When when a friendship is not at peace, you feel physically exhausted. You just feel spent from the whole experience, or, or when you are suffering physically, you know how, how weary your own soul can be. And in verse 10, David acknowledges that he's not innocent, right? It's not all on him, but he's saying, my own iniquities have contributed to this situation. The, the remaining verses explain how others are treating him, his neighbors are avoiding him, people are uh, evading interaction with him at, at all costs, previous friends are, are treating him as, as though he was dead and forgotten, as though he was uh, a broken pot, right, just a piece of trash, it's only good to be thrown out of, of no regard anymore, and, and some are even plotting to kill him. That's one most of us haven't had, right? Uh, unfortunately, as, as a people, we do not like to walk with others through hardship and suffering. He's experiencing that. And we don't like to because it's not enjoyable, it's not comfortable. You see, as long as as you're important, as long as you are popular and and wealthy and successful, everyone wants to know you. Everyone wants to be able to say, that's my friend. I know him. We hang out. However, when the money dries up, when the fame turns to shame, when success becomes failure, sadly, most people on the planet will desert you. This is the way of the world. It's not the way of of true friends. They're not like that. And and more to the point, God is not like that. That's what David is finding here, right? In spite of all that, he's learning that God is not like that. All others might desert him, but not the Lord. Let's move on to the fourth section. Here here we see that despite a a mountain of sufferings, David doesn't just shake it off, right? He he remembers God. He again expresses his trust in in the Lord. We're going to pick up in verse 14 here and just go four verses. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face to shine on your servant. 
Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Don't don't miss the magnitude of that simple yet profound statement, a confession even right at the beginning, right? All this terrible suffering is going on in David's life, and yet he prays, but, right? That's that transitional word, but I trust in you, Lord. You are my God. When we confess in our hearts and with our lips that God is God, at the same time we are confessing, I am not God. I can't solve these issues. I I can't do the things that you can do. I am not the Christ. I am not my own fortress. I am not my own refuge. And and that is good because only God is God and he invites us to put our trust in him. He invites us to find those things that we might want to look to ourselves or others for, to find that in him, to find that refuge. In verse 15, it it builds on this, his trust of God when he prays, my times are in your hand. Right? This is a pretty big deal. My times are in your hand. This is not some just shrugging of the shoulders, you know, such is life. It is what it is kind of statement, right? No, this is, this is trust at the absolute highest degree here. This is acknowledging that God in his providence has sovereignly placed them in this situation. That God's not like, I don't know how you got there. What are you doing, David? Right? He, he is believing, David's believing wholeheartedly that God has a good reason for it, even if he, he can't see it in the moment, even if he can't possibly understand what good God might be working from this in, the, in that moment, he is trusting that indeed the Lord is working good. As Romans 8, 28, far after David's life and death teaches, right? For those who love God, all things work together for good. And it's only when we truly deep down believe that that, that we can also say with Paul in Philippians 4.11 that I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. Because if we don't trust that the Lord is working this for good, we'll never be content. And then in verses 17 and 18, David is asking the Lord to punish those, um, to punish in silence rather, those who are wicked. Right? David's not even doing the punishing and silencing here himself. But, but he's trusting God here. He leaves ultimate judgment in the hand of the Lord here. They just, they're slandering me still. They're talking all this horrible stuff. Would you just silence them? Give them no platform, Lord. And this brings us to the fifth section. And this one is just chock full of praise for God. Uh, notice it as we, we read aloud, or as I read aloud, beginning in verse 19 here. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. And work for those who take refuge in you, in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the, from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. I'm always amazed, I guess I shouldn't be, but I'm always amazed by by those who speak of God's goodness, right? Right in the midst of of some of the worst tragedies of their entire life. Right in the midst of things that you and I would would probably want to label as that is suffering and, and misery, that we'd label anything but the goodness of God. 
seeing the goodness of God while, while suffering through some disease or while mourning the untimely death of a loved one, whatever suffering it is, right? The fact that they, can, they see God and, and all the ways that he has been good to them just blows my mind. I'm convinced that's, that's a grace the Lord gives you in the moment when we need it. See, David here is exploding in, in worship. He, he is speaking of God's abundance goodness to those who fear God. He is telling how God is, uh, is working in the lives of those who are taking refuge in him. James Montgomery Boyce was a pastor at 10th Pres in, in, in Philadelphia, and, and long before he, he suffered through liver cancer uh, that would end his life, he, he said this, he said, God's goodness will certainly follow us all the days of our lives, but it will not stop there. It will follow us even into heaven where it will be disclosed in a measure not even imaginable. <clears throat> That's his actual experience right now. Right? He is experiencing the goodness of God in ways that you and I cannot even fathom yet. Verse 51 uh, can be a form for us, right? David says, um, God has wondrously shown his steadfast love for me when I was besieged in, in a besieged city. Right? There's a moment in his life when when the city is under attack and, and the Lord shows his love for him and in some way deliverance, we don't know the details or what war this is or battle it was, um, but the question is this, how would you finish that sentence yourself, right? What, what difficult situation has God shown you his love in the midst of? So you'd come back to this, you know, God has wondrously shown his steadfast love for me when, are we aware of those things? See, the secret to, to gratitude and worship is being more aware of the specifics uh, of his goodness and, and grace to you in, in your life. Now, now this is going to be kind of harsh, right? I, I think most of us this way, and maybe I just think that because I know my own heart and I tend to be this way. But, but if you were to be asked, you know, list off a hundred things that, that you just hate, can't stand, something like that. You'd be able to do that probably a little quicker than gratitude, Right? Our kids listen to this adventure and odyssey thing, and there's this, this one character, Mrs. Kramer, that at one point, I guess it's an open mic thing, and she shows up, and, and her poem is, A Hundred Things I Hate by Mrs. Kramer, or something like that. She goes off, mosquitoes, poems that don't rhyme, flimsy supermarket lettuce, things of that nature, right? It is, it is so much easier for us to just collect these things of things we cannot stand in the world, things that drive us nuts in life, than it is to say, you know what, what are, give me a hundred things that the Lord has done good for you. Just a hundred things that have been his grace in your life today. That's the kind of thing we have to train. We are, we are going to naturally go down the, the complain, these are the things I hate stage, right? You, you have got to train yourself to, to think that way, to be looking for, for what you can be grateful to, to the Lord for, and, and that's when it begins to turn into worship in our life for the Lord. Now look at verse 22 right here. I, I expect quite a few of us can relate to this. He says, I had said in my alarm, I am I'm cut off from your sight. Um, and in a moment of fear, he, he believed God could not or would not see him, would not help him, that, that God was simply not there. That, that's, I know that's something that many of you feel because I, I hear it come out of our, our lips in, in modern terms, right? God just seems distant from me right now. I just feel like God's forgotten about me right now. I feel all alone. Listen, child of God, your, your heavenly father never, ever forgets you. He is never, ever distant from you. 
It, it might feel that way, but he is not distant from you, right? The Lord is near you. Listen, if God doesn't feel close, do not trust your feelings. Know that he is, he is near to you as, as his child. And this brings us to our, our final two verses, starting in verse 23. Um, this is actually David's own application. If you were to put this in outline, it's, it's like a little statement at the end, right? It's his instruction to, to believers. Uh, and, and how does David ultimately instruct us? Let's, let's read this, verse 23 and 24. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. How great is that first line? All of it, but especially that first line. Love the Lord, all you saints. Right? You want to know what to do today, what to do tomorrow, the, the rest of this week, right? You, you want to know how to fill your days well, how to like focus, what should we really, you know, what should one of my primary goals today be? Well, love the Lord and all that that entails. He then removes the, the weight of our shoulders from thinking that we must do everything. He says, right, it's not you who preserves the faithful, but God who will do it. It's not you who must repay those who act out in pride, but the Lord will do it. And then in the final verse, we are called to be, first to be strong. You are to be strong. And this is a specific kind of strength he's talking about. This is a, a spiritual strength that trusts in the Lord even as we patiently wait for the Lord to act, even in the midst of suffering. And the second instruction, right? Be strong and, and also let your heart take courage. This means keep trusting God. Keep trusting God. Don't lose faith in the Lord no matter what is going on in your life. And, and that's the end of our psalm here. But I want to come back to a moment to just... To just answer this question we began with, right? How do we deal with stress? How do we deal with anxiety? You know, you, you see David again, right? He's, he's got these people that they want to kill him and they've slandered his name and, and no one will even talk to him uh, for fear of being associated with them. And so what exactly helps David through this? If you were to kind of just pull back and look at it, what helps him through it? I know we've already touched on it and it sounds so simple, but I don't want you to miss it. He was trusting in the Lord who is sovereign. See, the only way the sovereignty of God is going to be any comfort to us in, in anxious times of, of unrest is, is if we already believe in the goodness of God, if we already believe in the sovereign power of, of, of the Lord before we are in the midst of the storm. But what I mean is, that's not the moment, right? When everything's falling apart, that's not the moment. If you, don't, if you don't believe that that's what Scripture teaches, the sovereignty of God, that's not the moment it's going to suddenly be a comfort to you that you're going to learn it, right? But if you already know it, it is a massive comfort for you. In other words, you, you don't learn to swim when the boat sinks, but if you already know how to swim, you won't go down with the ship when it does sink. Listen, God will not put you in a stressful situation that is too much for you to bear in his strength. He just won't do it, right? We, 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 1 Corinthians 10.13, speaking specifically of temptation, but this is a temptation, right? It says, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You can endure suffering. And keep your faith in the Lord. 
And trusting God is, is not a do it a once thing and you're done. It's not like that. Well, I already did that. I trusted in the Lord. Yeah. You're going to have to do it again and again, over and over again. Right? That's, that's the sermon you've got to preach to yourself when you find yourself in, in a difficult time of suffering in your life. Over and over, again and again, right? In the, in the midst of it, in the midst of anxiety, trust the Lord. You tell yourself that. Trust Jesus. You're praying, God, help me to trust you. Because I can't see right now. I can't see what you see. A great missionary in China, Hudson Taylor, he, he lived under death threats and all sorts of distressful situations. That was his life. Uh, and he used to say this. He said, it doesn't matter really how great the pressure is. It only matters where the pressure is. See that it never comes between you and the Lord. And then the greater the pressure, the, the more it presses you to God's breast. Right? If it comes between you and God, it creates a divide. But if you are close to the Lord and there is pressure, it only pushes you further to the Lord. The, the last thing to, to give us eternal perspective here is this. Um, remember, Jesus our Lord spoke verse 5 upon the cross. Into your hands I commit my spirit. He trusted God, and of course, you know that God the Father did not rescue Jesus from the cross. That's what the enemies were crawling at, crying out from the do, right? Come down from it now. Don't actually die on this cross. And Jesus did indeed die that dark Friday. But, but then God's rescue came three days later in the form of the resurrection. You see, trusting God doesn't mean we won't face death. Sometimes our, our rescue will, will come in the form of res the resurrection for us as well. And and that's good, that, that's real, that, that's a comfort, no matter what situation where you're in. There, there is peace that we can have because of the situation that Jesus has accomplished on the cross for us and in the resurrection. That, that's why we, we can pray and experience those glorious words of Isaiah 26.3. And if you don't know these, these are worth you know, putting somewhere where you see in your house. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Uh, Isaiah 26.3, God, you keep him in perfect peace his mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. If you want peace, no matter what the situation in your life, you focus your mind on the Lord. You put your trust there. And you keep coming back to that over and over again. There is peace. There is refuge there. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, upon that gruesome and glorious cross, you were betrayed, denied, rejected, and forsaken by pretty much everyone. And still you, you prayed the words of Psalm 31, you trusted and you placed yourself in the hands of the Father. Lord, teach my heart to trust your word, even when I can't see your whole purpose. Father, teach us to trust and to place our lives, our souls into your hands, no matter what struggles we face in this life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.